That's right, it is What Had Happened Was Wednesday. I'm your host, Waldo Waldy, here on the Regulators Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We got a lot to get into this week. We're going to start it right off with the attack of the COVID. The Tennessee Titans have had eight people test positive for COVID, uh, three players and five members of personnel. It was reported uh, this morning that a ninth person was actually added to that list. The Titans have suspended all of their activities. The building is closed through Saturday. Um, The word that we're hearing now is that the game between the Titans and the Pittsburgh Steelers is going to be postponed. There are all sorts of alternatives, but calm down. Don't get too excited. Um, We're hearing that either Monday or Tuesday is the most likely scenario that the game will just get bumped one or two days. I guess uh, COVID has a five-day expiration date or something like that. But uh, with the Titans being locked out of their building until Saturday, I think they're just trying to squeeze in a day or two for them to get some practice in or something. Uh, What I do like about this situation is Roger Goodell released a statement to all of the owners and all of the clubs that basically said, yeah, no shit, guys. We're prepared for this. Like This is what we expected. Um, This idea that nobody was going to come down with COVID over this entire process and that there wasn't going to be a team affected, I think, is asinine or or naive. Um, So the NFL put all these protocols in place and they had all these contingency plans for exactly this reason. So this will be a good test for the NFL. If the game goes off without a hitch or it gets bumped a day, you know, it's not ideal, but at least things will move forward. Hopefully all the protocols and the contact tracing and all that stuff that they have will help them eliminate any future risk uh, to the people within those organizations, and we'll see how the NFL handles it. But Roger Goodell said, hey, this is what we prepared for. Now it's go time. So let's see how we respond now that we had a few people test positive, and let's move forward. What had happened was... That's right. It is what had happened Wednesday. So we are going to talk about what had happened in week three, starting with the San Francisco 49ers and the New York Giants. Now, I think most people expected the Giants to win. Uh, They were favored by only three and a half points, but the Giants have just looked abysmal. We had hoped that this would be a Joe Judge game where he would kind of put his foot down and say, hey, this this team's moving in the in the right direction. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way in his favor. What had happened was... 49ers in a blowout here, 36-9, and you had a lot of uh, backup talent that was making a splash and getting it done on Sunday. You had uh, Brandon Ayuk, you had Wilson Jr. getting in the end zone there. Uh, how about Nick Mullins? 343 passing yards. Touchdown, no interceptions, clean day for Mullins. The New York Giants, on the other hand, did not look good. And I mean, you cannot, you cannot let the injuries to Saquon Barkley and the pieces that you're missing and the situations that are unfolding in New York, you cannot let it be the downfall of your entire season. Um, Charles Robinson actually said on his podcast this week, and I, I couldn't have said it better, He said that Dolphins played hard for Flo last year and they didn't have shit, right? So you can't say that the roster's not there. You're a professional 
NFL football team. And I get it, we're through three weeks of the season and everybody takes their lumps sometimes. Um, but you had a chance against a depleted San Francisco 49er team to show that you belong and that you can make a run in a division that doesn't look like it's taking off as the NFC East usually is. It's like, who really wants that division bad enough every year? It's like, is it going to be a 7-9 and nine team again? Um, who's going to win this division at 8-8? Eight and eight? So in a piss-poor division, and I'm sorry, but that's what it is right now, the Giants missed a golden, golden opportunity to make some noise. Daniel Jones as your leading rusher is not going to cut it. Devonta Freeman, five carries, 10 yards. That's not going to cut it. Um, the most explosive weapon that they've had recently was Slayton. He had 53 yards on three catches. But other than that, the Giants offense was really non-existent. Daniel Jones ended up 17-32, 179 yards, no TDs, interception. And the Giants are trending bad in the wrong direction. So what had happened was um, the, the Giants need, need a come-to-Jesus moment. They need to have a uh, notification going off like I just did in the back of my MacBook. But other than that, they need to really have one of those players-only meetings, and they need to figure out what the fuck their identity is and how they're going to salvage this season, it being only three weeks into a, a season where a lot of teams are still figuring it out. There's, there's still plenty of time, but man, they've got a lot, a lot that they have to regroup and figure out how to overcome this year. Uh, what had happened was... Indeed. Let's talk about what had happened was Mitch Trubisky is the first quarterback that I can find existence of to get benched being part of an undefeated team. So, Mitch got benched for Nick Foles, who came in threw three touchdowns in like five minutes, and brought the Bears to a win. Atlanta completely fell apart, as predicted on our show last week. Uh, Justin, you know, as much as I love J-Man, he felt that Atlanta was going to smash the Chicago Bears. But I just, I'm telling you, they are mentally broken inside the Atlanta Falcons are. I don't know if it's still lingering from the Super Bowl issues, I don't know if it's games one, two, three. I don't, I don't know what it is, but they mentally do not have the fortitude to close out games. Even when Matt Ryan, I see people on Twitter like burning their jerseys and completely over the Falcons. And a lot of these people, like you're just doing it for the clicks. Like I'm not even going to retweet your garbage, okay? Because if you really wanted to mess with the Falcons, take the money for all that memorabilia that you have sell it, take the money, and then go spend it on Saints season tickets, okay? You want to do something. But outside of that, I get why people in Atlanta are upset. There, there's no excuse for how Atlanta is closing out games, how they continue to lose with these giant leads that they have. Um, Dan Quinn, is to say he's on the hot seat is an understatement. Uh you know, Arthur Blank is a great leader, and after the way that the Falcons finished last year, Blank said, listen, we believe in DQ, we're going to bring him back, we know that he can get it done, and so far this year, it does not look like he's getting it done. And you know what? Maybe it's, it's similar for DQ. Maybe there's an issue where he himself is afraid to call certain plays. Now, now, let's be honest, the players have to execute. 
but everybody combined in the building doesn't seem like they have their mind right. From the coaches to the players, it just doesn't seem like they feel like they're going to win these games. Like they feel they are in the right position to do the things right. And Matt Ryan, everyone's saying F Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's throwing for 500 yards a game. I don't know what you want from this guy. The offense is the only thing that's actually clicking there. They're putting up hella points. So hit the brakes a little bit on your distaste for everybody. Like, you know, it's contagious. And once anybody's been touched by the misery of the Falcons, you just want to burn it all to the ground and get rid of everybody. Like, let's let's keep a little bit of perspective here. Um, the Falcons are lucky to have Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. Are they squandering their careers? Yes, maybe a little bit. I agree with you. But let's figure out what the answer is. If it's getting Dan Quinn and the coaching staff out of there, then they have to do it. If it's bringing in some different talent on defense, then they have to do it. Um, but the Atlanta Falcons, I, I would not have guessed that they would start the season 0-3 and they just continue to trend downward and like the Giants it's not looking very good for them at all what had happened was what happened was we got our first tie of the NFL season so two teams who couldn't win a game haven't won a game didn't want to win a game uh, the Bengals and the Eagles came into it 0-2 and they ended up in a tie now what will get lost in this is Joe Burrow had a very good day Burrow was 31 of 44, 312 yards, two TDs, no picks. I tell you, Tyler Boyd went off. He's been on our list for a while. 10 catches, 125 yards, um, but not enough to get it done. You know, it went to overtime, and there was actually a chance there for the Eagles to win it with a field goal late. Would have been a long field goal, but there was a false start on the Eagles, and then they just ended up punting it with a few seconds left in the game, and that was it. And now both teams are 0 and 2 and 1. From the Bengals' perspective, I feel that if you're a rational Cincinnati Bengals fan, you have to like what you're seeing out of Joe Burrow, and you have to feel that the team is trending up, right? I think if you had lofty expectations that Burrow was going to come in this year, and you guys were going to go 16-0 and and go to the Super Bowl. I think that's just absurd. However, you want to see that the guy that you took, number one overall, is the answer for the future. And the defense and the rest of the pieces that you need to figure out, you will get done. But you need to know that this is your guy, right? We've seen the flashes. We need him to build on the consistency, right? So... He's hovering right around 64.5% uh, completion rating, I believe, on the year. Joe Burrow is, and I think five touchdowns, one interception, but he's finding himself. We've seen the flashes. We've seen those great throws and the escapability that he has, but he needs the game to slow down for him. So this is kind of what you get, though, when you rush a rookie in week one starter. And remember, he didn't even have... Andy Dalton sitting there to kind of learn from, even have him on the sideline to go through. This is the Joe Burrow show. He's got questions. He goes to the coaches. But in reality, this is all on him. They threw him into the deep end of the pool, which there's always been that argument of, do you 
let them take the Peyton Manning approach where they go in their rookie year and they throw 30 interceptions like Manning did, or do you let them sit like Mahomes did, like Rodgers did, like a lot of these guys who sat for a year, sometimes even more, before they were given their opportunity, like two is currently doing. So, only three quarterbacks who have won the Super Bowl in the last 20 years were the week one starter as a rookie. The other Super Bowl champions sat a combined 154 games before becoming the starter. As a matter of fact, the only active player who has started week one as a rookie and has a Super Bowl ring right now is currently Russell Wilson. So I think that this idea that we have to rush people out and just get them out there and get the exposure, personally, I believe it's asinine. You can make arguments for either side, but the one thing you can't say is that it's definitive one way or the other, right? But when you do rush a rookie out there who's still learning the NFL speed, the NFL defenses, still learning how to break down and read coverages and see how they disguise things at an NFL level, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get flashes. You're going to get good play, but you're not going to get just this perfect Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes type situation where these guys sat for years and crafted what they were doing and sat behind people and learned every little aspect of the game. And that's fine. If you don't have lofty expectations this year, then it doesn't break you. But you need to know what you're walking into. So that's currently the situation with Burrow. He's still figuring it out. It's going to be a little bit of a growing pain process. However, I do like what I see out of the kid so far. We want to see that he can continue to mature. Um, we want to see his pre-snap reads, what he does at the line, and his ability to uh, progress moving forward as the season goes on. But outside of that, I would let me tell you something. I'd be a lot happier as a Bengals fan right now than I would as a Falcons or a Giants fan. So... The Bengals, you have to feel like at least right now you got your guy and the future is looking bright. Not going to be an overall slam dunk year for you guys. Um, A.J. Green is on a milk carton somewhere. We put out APBs for him and Joe Mixon. I don't know what they're doing. A.J. Green is one of the most targeted wide receivers in the league, but somehow still can't get the ball, can't make the catches. And I'm not saying it's all on A.J. Green, but the, the Bengals' offense as a whole needs to really help out their young quarterback. From the Eagles' perspective, Carson Wentz is, is looking rough, man. They, they, I have long said that they shipped the wrong quarterback out of Philadelphia. I think Nick Foles was the right guy for that system. And don't get me wrong, Carson Wentz, early off in his career, played lights out, and he was playing really amazing. And then Foles stepped in, and then we, we know how that all played out. But I truly believe that Foles was the right guy for that system, and I think that Carson Wentz is in deep, deep doo-doo. And I think that he could end up potentially being offered up on the trade block at some point. I know that sounds crazy to even think about uh, because of the talent level that we know Carson possesses. However, there was a stat released this week by several sources that said if Russell Wilson threw, I think, 46 interceptions on his next 46 throws in a row, 
he would still have a higher passer rating than Carson Wentz. It's abysmal and disgusting what's happening in Philadelphia right now. And Miles Sanders is the most underutilized weapon in the NFL today. The fact that they are not using him more and figuring out how to better use him within that game plan is just sad. It reminds me of the things that are going on not that far away in New York with the Jets and the way that they can take offensive weapons and just completely misuse them and destroy careers. On a positive note, though, Deshaun Jackson, two catches, 11 yards, consistency, baby. That's what I like to see. That's a D-Jax that I know. Go drop a fumble on the one-yard line. All right, let's move on. Uh, what had happened was... Speaking of dropping fumbles at the one-yard line, perfect transition into DK Metcalf, who is a grown-ass man. Big fan of DK. However, man, he is so lucky that he bailed himself out later in the game by catching that touchdown that put the Seahawks in a, in a better position in that game because for those of you who missed it, DK had the ultimate Deshaun Jackson. He caught this ball, thought he was going to waltz into the end zone. Defender comes up behind him, boop, pumps it out, goes out of the end zone. That's a touchback, goes over to the defense. So the awareness and understanding where you are in the field and a little bit of just kind of showboating, you know, it's not like he was prime timing down the sideline, but at the same time, you have to be smarter than that. I'm sure the Cowboys wish that they had Prime back there, though, given up, I think, 450 yards to Russell Danger Wilson. Um, the Seahawks, they're, they're going to be so interesting this year, right? Because Russell Wilson is scoring and playing outside of his mind at a clip that's been unmatched in the NFL. We told you last week that he was completing 82.5% of his passes, which was just insane. And he had a 9-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. Well, guess what? He added another five touchdowns with no picks this past Sunday. So Russell Wilson is playing lights out. Unfortunately, their defense is playing like someone turned the lights out on them because they can't see anything, they're blind in the dark, and they are getting their asses handed to them on defense. So Dak Prescott had a good game. Again, and this is where... Very, very similar in, in that kind of aspect, right? You've got Dak Prescott, who's trying to prove that he's the guy. And the only thing that people outside the building, that Cowboys fans are going to look at and say, well, we're one and two, you know, Dak isn't getting it done. Let me tell you something. Dak threw for 472 fucking yards. He was 37 of 57. Three touchdowns, two picks. The picks hurt him. But he threw for almost 500 yards, okay? Ezekiel Elliott, 34 yards. Averaged two and a half yards a carry. Dak Prescott had an extra 26 yards rushing on six carries. He was running more efficient than Zeke, okay? But again, the defense, and I know they were up for a monumental task taking on Russell Wilson. Huge undertaking. However, that can't be an excuse. You can't continue to go out and put 30-plus points on the board every week and then not come away with the win because the defense fails you. Now, last week, the defense stepped up towards the end of the game and allowed Dallas to climb back in that game with Atlanta. A lot of that was Atlanta imploding in on itself. But 
you know, let's give credit where credit was due. And the Seahawks end up winning 38 to 31. But Dak makes this amazing scramble on the last play where he's fighting for his life, reminded you of like the Deshaun Watson kick in the eye or the old Eli in the Super Bowl play, spins out, almost goes down, takes his hand, props himself up, and he gets a heave off to the end zone. It's going to be the last play. There, You might get one more play in after that if you don't turn the ball over. So you know at some point you have to put it in the end zone. You're down by six. You've got three guys down there. They've got three guys down there. It's a jump ball. It was as good of a throw and as good as an execution as you really could have hoped for. Um, but unfortunately, it was picked off by the Seattle Seahawks, and they, they come out victorious, and obviously they move on to 3-0. and Having said that, Seattle has some real problems on the defense that they need to be concerned about if they're going to be a championship-caliber team. Right now, they're a great team. Russ is playing at an elite level. Um, definite early, early dark horse for uh, MVP candidate. But And I only say dark horse because he's never received a vote in his entire life. Everybody loves Pat Mahomes and they love the new shiny toys. But um, Russ is playing incredible. However, they really need to be concerned about the defense. Dallas, you know, again, it, it hurts. I mean, I did predict them to lose this game. Seattle was favored by five, which, you know, wasn't too far off from what the final score ended up being. Um, but Dallas, I still think, can put this together. I still think it's a long season. I think that the first three, four games of this season, I don't want to say they don't matter because they do, especially in the division games and things that are going to have seeding implications as the season moves on. But it really is like a preseason out there right now. There are teams that are still figuring it out. Remember, Dallas has a brand new coach with McCarthy. I think that they will figure it out. Maybe not to the lofty expectations that I had for them going into the season, but I think the Cowboys will get this right. I still think that if there's a year that the Cowboys win the division easy, it's this year. I don't see anybody else running away with that division. So we'll see how it plays out. But Cowboys fans, you know, don't burn your jerseys and hit the panic button just yet. Let's, let's kind of take a beat on that. Seahawks fans will obviously want to monitor the Chris Carson injury as well. Uh, he was diagnosed with a sprain in his ankle, I believe it was. Uh, one to two week turnaround time is predicted. However, the Seahawks want to see how he shakes out in practice and if he's able to give it a go. If he's not able to suit up against the Miami Dolphins, then Carlos Hyde will be the back for the Seattle Seahawks in the interim. What had happened was... Let's talk about the Cleveland Brownies. Two and one. The first time that they have had an above 500 record since 2014. Think about that. For six years, they haven't had one game where they were above 500, where they had a winning record. This is why I continue to say my hat's off to Cleveland fans. Cleveland is a football town and the Browns are one of the most iconic teams in the National Football League. And Cleveland Brown fans deserve better. They deserve to have relevant football in Cleveland. And it looks like they may just have gotten that. Baker and the boys 
handled the Washington football team. I know that it's Washington, but you know what? You are what your record says you are, and you play the teams that are put in front of you. The Cleveland Browns got it done. Another beautiful game. We saw a lot of the Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt action that we're falling in love with. I believe the Browns had 150 yards on the ground. Baker, another 150 through the air. Two touchdowns, no picks. 16 of 23, again, not lighting the world on fire, but he's doing what is required. They won 34 to 20. It wasn't really in doubt. OBJ had 59 yards. Again, I know fantasy owners would love to see him go off for 125 yards and a couple of touchdowns, but that's not the Browns' identity. That's not who they are. And I feel so happy for the Browns that they finally figured out who the hell they are. They are going to play smash mouth football. They are going to run it down your throat. They are going to create opportunities through pass play action. And when you do get that pass play action, you have two of the most prolific wide receivers in your offense with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. that are there and are available. But your goal is is to not need to throw the ball 35, 45 times a game. Your goal is to play smart football up front, to own the line of scrimmage and dominate, and that's what the Browns are doing. And so the Browns are off to a 2-1 and one start. My hat's off to the Cleveland Browns. Congratulations, boys. Let's keep this train rolling. Now, from the Washington football team, who again, week one, was the sole... Champion of the NFC East division. You know, they had first place lockdown. They are obviously trending in the opposite direction very fast. So, Dwayne Haskins. I was reading an interesting debate back and forth about Dwayne Haskins and comparing him to some of the other young NFL quarterbacks and the positions that they had been placed in. It's hard to tell with Dwayne Haskins because... 21 of 37 for 224 and two touchdowns doesn't sound bad. Then you add in the three picks, and okay, it becomes bad. Now, I could spend hours talking about the Washington organization as a whole, the coaching changes that Haskins has gone through, the situations that he's been put in, and how that differs from others. Regardless of all of that, Life is 1% what happens to you and 99% how you react to it. Dwayne Haskins has to play like his life depends on it, at the very least, like his career depends on it, because it does. And what I mean by that is not that he has to throw for 450 yards and he has to try to do too much out there because that's where I think he's at right now. I think he needs to make smart decisions on the football field. I think he needs to spend even more time than he's spending on the football field in the film room and trying to get ready for the next week's game and trying to work with his receivers and figure out the little things that are going to take him that next step. And I'm not saying that he's not doing that now. I don't know him personally and I don't know what his routine is. But what I'm saying is that this year is going to be the difference between Dwayne Haskins returning next year as the starter for the Washington football team or whatever it will be called at that time, or 
him being traded away for a sixth round draft pick or something to that effect. If he wants to stay in Washington, and maybe he doesn't, but if he wants to prolong his career and do the right things, I understand that the deck might be stacked a little bit against you, but Dwayne Haskins really needs to take that step up. And you look on the flip side at Baker and what he's doing in Cleveland right now. We've had the same doubts about Baker Mayfield, and I think for the longest time, Baker was trying to do the same things. He came out all rah-rah with the intensity. He wakes up feeling dangerous, but then he throws three picks and 150 yards passing, and, and it doesn't help his team win. You need to understand that your job as the quarterback is a game manager. That word becomes a bad word in this industry that, oh, if you're a game manager, that just means you're the Chad Penningtons of the world or the Trent Dilfers or Brad Johnsons, that you're just kind of holding it down while the defense and everybody else goes to work. No, every good quarterback has to be a game manager. Aaron Rodgers has to be a game manager. He needs to understand the down and distance and when he's going to use his cadence to get those people to jump. He needs to understand when he's going to check out of plays. There's so much to managing an NFL game as a captain, as a leader, as a quarterback, and those are the little nuances that Dwayne Haskins has to zero in on and stop worrying about whether he's throwing for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Take what's there, figure out how to get the plays that are available to you, and let the other things work out. I know that Geis isn't there this year, and the Antonio Gibson experiment and Bryce Love's show isn't really going how everybody had kind of hoped. But that doesn't matter. That's not in your control. Your control is to do everything in your power to give your team the best opportunity to get a first down. That's it. And then another first down and another first down until you're in the fucking end zone. And that's how you do it. So, Dwayne Haskins, I, I think I don't want to close that door on him like a lot of people are doing. I think that's very unfair. But he needs to really, really progress over the next five, six games and really show that he can take some strides to do what's necessary. I don't care if they win. I really don't care. I just want to see him put his team in the best position week in and week out to be able to do whatever else the rest of the team can do to try to achieve a victory. What had happened was... Man, I'll tell you what. If you are a New England Patriots fan, we told you last week, even in the loss, after the loss to Seattle, that you should be jacked up about your team. Well, I think you probably are now. The Las Vegas Raiders were scoring on the highest percentage of their drives of anybody else. They were, you know, 2-0. and They were playing great. And then they ran into the wall known as Bill Belichick. And if anybody can shut you down and figure out how to take away your best assets and your best weapons, they were mugging Darren Waller all night. That's why Hunter Renfro showed up. Anybody who grabbed Hunter Renfro on the waiver wire, I, I got news for you. That, that play is not going to work out for you well. The reason they had to throw to Hunter Renfro is because the Patriots' defense had literally taken Darren Waller, tied him up in a sack, threw him in a trunk, and then pushed it off a cliff. So 
Darren Waller is, is still the guy who's going to get all of those carries and, and lead in targets and everything else. But Bill does what Bill does, and he took away your best weapon. So now what do you have? You got Josh Jacobs and, you know, apparently Hunter Renfro. So it looked like it was going to be close in the beginning. Might even look like a defensive battle. But man, in that second half, the king of adjustments came out and just laid waste to the Las Vegas Raiders. 250 yards through the ground for the New England Patriots. Cam didn't have to do much. He was 17 to 28, 162 yards, a touchdown, a pick. Um, But he didn't need to do that much. So that's not Cam Newton's fault. We've seen that he can throw it all over the place. But again, when you get that much through the ground and then Rex Burkhead was just a monster with James White still being out, dealing with his personal family things. Anytime Sony Michelle, you know, 117 yards by himself, and then Burkhead had 50 yards on the ground, 50 yards through the air, and he was leaping all over the place. The Raiders had no answer on defense for the things that Josh McDaniels was scheming up. And, you know, we talked about it in the offseason. A lot of people did. Josh McDaniels had to just be salivating at the idea of, Cam Newton and what he can do in that offense. And it's very little things. Sometimes it's some very subtle things that the average person may not realize because they'll say, well, Cam didn't throw for 300 yards or Cam didn't run for 80 yards, but it doesn't matter. It's not only the threat of Cam taking off and getting the yards like he's done and proven to us that he can do this year. It's his ability to just athletically get quickly outside the pocket, to run these little option plays, these quick screens, where he's just, it's a different mindset from a defensive perspective. When you are crashing down on Tom Brady in some sort of run-read option, it does nothing. But even when Cam is handing the ball off in those situations, and he's watching that end who's crashing down or the linebacker who's coming from the outside and he gets him to bite and then he hands it off and it goes up the middle for 35 yards, that's something that Cam Newton brings to the table that Tom didn't have. And I'm not trying to say that Cam's better than Tom. I'm not high, but it brings a different dynamic. It brings a different element. So the Patriots are dangerous right now. They are 2-1 and and they're chasing the Buffalo Bills, but... I tell you what, you just you got to be really excited if you're a Patriots fan. From a Vegas perspective, this might be the punch in the mouth that they needed, right? Because again, Vegas was scoring, they were playing well, they were 2 and 0 undefeated, and they ran into a buzzsaw with Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Now they need to regroup and they need to say, "Okay, this can't happen to us again. We can't go up against a good team and then all of a sudden just fall apart and be unprepared to make adjustments and try to keep up with those teams. So I'm still high on the Las Vegas Raiders. I think that this will be a great season for them, um, but they got some things that they need to work on from, from their perspective. Speaking of the AFC East, let's talk about those first place Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen is playing outside of his mind right now his medium to deep ball looks beautiful he is wreaking havoc on NFL defenses and before you start this whole penalty was it a penalty was it not a penalty you know what 
For Rams fans to be saying any kind of shit about defensive pass interference, let's just not even go there. Regardless, maybe it was a ticky-tack call. It was the right call, but I get, I understand why everyone's upset because it's in that situation at the end of the game, but it doesn't matter. No matter where in the game that foul occurs, he it was legally engaged in the first five yards. He didn't let go, and anytime you see a player throw their hands up like, it's not me, I didn't do it, I didn't block in the back, I didn't clip him, I didn't do anything, Nine times out of ten, that's a foul. Because that's why they throw their hands up, because they knew it was going to be an issue. Regardless, the Bills got out to a huge lead in this one. The defense almost gave it away heading towards the end of the game. But Josh Allen got the ball back, and he still had to drive down that field. Whether you think that one play should have been a penalty, should not have been a penalty, you still had plenty of opportunities to stop the guy. You still had the opportunity to not let the Bills get out to that massive lead. Okay, so Jared Goff played okay, 321 yards, two touchdowns. He did have the one pick, um, but nothing to be ashamed of from a a Rams perspective on offense. Daryl Henderson had 114 yards himself through the ground. Uh, Cooper Cup, what did we say? He needed to bring his lunch pail to work. He listened to the show. He heard us. 107 yards on nine catches. Robert Woods was involved as well, um, not only in the receiving game, but he had another 30 yards through the rushing attack as well, over 100 all-purpose yards for Robert Woods. So the offense was clicking. It was there. It was a little late. Uh, they didn't show up till much later in the game when it was perhaps a little bit too late. But from the defense, again, is where you have to have your worry. And we're seeing this, again, with a lot of NFL defenses throughout the league. I think with everything that happened through the pandemic and the loss of padded practices, the loss of OTAs and mini camps, the loss of being able to get your hands on people and teaching the fundamentals and everything, I think that tackling has taken a huge, huge hit this year and a lot of defenses are just not up to speed to where I think they will be three four weeks from now going into the season so again this was one of those 35 to 32 games the Bills do come out on top from a Bills perspective again if the Patriots should be excited then the Bills should really be fucking excited because all the people myself included who talked all that shit for all those years about Josh Allen and his medium to deep ball and and it was all true It was all things that he was unable to cement for himself. There was no consistency there. He was missing the barn side of broads. So oversailing wide receivers by 20 yards, and that that was an actual narrative. We didn't come up with this. We all watched the games, and we watched the tape. But now he has one of the most accurate deep balls in the NFL right now. And he is playing, again, like a man possessed. And so if you're the Bills and you're 3-0, and you've got to like what you see because, first of all, this is what you always said that Josh Allen could be. This is what the people who drafted him and the people who saw his talent knew that he could be. But now he's actually doing it, and he's doing it on a consistent basis. So it's going to be really fun to see how this whole Bills-Patriots thing shakes out as you go on throughout the season. From the Rams' perspective, listen— Two and one, you got your first loss of the season. You have to take your lump. Great rushing attack, even with Malcolm Brown 
not being full health with his broken finger uh, and having Cam Akers out as well. So it's, it's good that they were still able to establish the run and that Jared Goff had some nice things turning there towards the end of the game. They want to build on that, and they got to look forward to next week. Uh, what had happened was... I'll tell you who might be looking forward to next season already is the Houston Texans. Now, I know the scheduling department didn't do them any favors, but 0-3 to start the season, and things are not looking great for Houston. The Texans would currently hold the sixth overall pick in the draft. However, they don't because that first round pick of 2021 belongs to the Miami Dolphins. So they don't even have that going for them. Um, where to start, Texans fans? David Johnson, 1.8 yards per carry. I could go on and on, but I, I, I need to give you guys a break because this is going to be a long season and I don't, I don't want to just make every episode about me bashing the Texans. We haven't even got to the Jets yet, so I'll, I'll save it up for them this week. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson was 19 of 27, 264, two touchdowns and a pick. He had a good day, but obviously he can't do it all on himself. Um, I'm going to just let you guys be this week. You already know what it is. Let's just talk about the Steelers. From Pittsburgh's perspective, 3-0, and you got to be feeling yourself. Big Ben is right back in the swing of things again. 23 of 36, 237, two touchdowns, no picks. Listen, James Conner had 150 all-purpose yards. It's good to see Eric Ebron getting back into the mix there fantasy-wise as well. Benny Smelled was Benny Snell again. And it's not Benny's fault, man. They're not giving him the opportunities. I still think that he can make a lot of noise and be really dynamic in that Pittsburgh backfield, but they got to involve him more. He had seven touches, only 11 yards, didn't really make the most out of it on Sunday, but they got to get him involved uh, in the receiving game. I don't think he had a single catch on Sunday, so we'll see how the Steelers play that going forward. If you have James Conner, then right now, if you're looking to ditch, now's the time to sell high. If you're worried he gets injured, if you're worried about the 14 carries that got stolen from him, um, by Benny Snell and McFarland, then you know now would be the time to get out. If you're a believer, then stay the course. I, I think that James Conner has shown that he's still got every little bit of himself in the tank and he's ready to roll. We'll see how this whole Steelers-Titans thing plays out. They're supposed to play Monday or Tuesday night, but obviously with the COVID scare, we'll see how everything comes together. What had happened was... I'll tell you what had happened. The undefeated Tennessee Titans rolled on past the Minnesota Vikings in a close one, 31-30. How about Kaskowski after that week one debacle where he just fell apart and one of the longest tenured, uh, most established kickers in the league all of a sudden looked like he forgot how to kick the football. He basically, as a matter of fact, has not missed a field goal uh, since that first night when they had their week one game so he's completely redeemed himself uh i tell you what Tannehill played okay you know 321 yards he did have a pick but derrick henry derrick henry showing up for his fantasy owners i told you guys to be patient 119 yards on the ground great day for derrick henry um you had khalif raymond 118 yards through the air who would have had that? I mean, if you picked him up as a last-minute wide receiver sub and plugged him into the game, then, you know, that's 
That's GM of the century in fantasy right there. Uh, Corey Davis did okay. Jono Smith, of course, 5 for 61. That's a great stat line from your tight end. We have to see what's going on. You know, the Titans have some injuries, and then now they have COVID issues. So from what we understand, it's none of their star players. I believe it was a long snapper, a practice squad tight end, and somebody else. Um, so we'll see how this next week goes for them. ESPN Fantasy is showing them as a buy right now with a postponed designation. But from everything we're hearing, the game, again, will be played either Monday or Tuesday. But the Titans roll on. They're 3-0. and They're looking good in that division. And then the Vikings, again, I think this is... It's funny how the polarization of the schedule is looking where you end up having these teams lose games and go in the opposite direction. You have a 2-0 and team beating an 0-2 team or a 3-0 and team against an 0-3 team. Um, it's really crazy. The Minnesota Vikings, 0-3. Again, who would have thought? Did you think we'd be here? I wouldn't. I mean, Kirk Cousins has just been abysmal. Again, he threw another two picks in the game, 16 of 27. And then... Dalvin Cook had 181 yards on the ground. Dalvin Cook was all over the place, balling out. If your running back has 181 yards and you lose that fucking game, man, you got problems. You've got a lot of problems. Justin Jefferson had 175 yards receiving. You're thinking, just looking at those stat lines, between those two guys alone, You're talking about over 300 yards of offense between two players. You have to be thinking to yourself, okay, we win this game in a blowout, right? Wrong. You know, that's that's where turnovers will get you. That's where, you know, every point counts in the NFL. And again, Gaskowski at the end winning it for Tennessee. It was a close game for most of the day. But Vikings are 0-3. And being in that division with the Bears, with the Packers, who are both undefeated, I I know it's week three, but man, how do you not hang it up for the Vikings? How do you not say, okay, well, that was it. And unless something miraculous happens to Kirk Cousins overnight, uh, somebody wishes on a falling star and, and he wakes up in Russell Wilson mode, um... I don't see the Vikings doing anything this season. Do they maybe make some noise, sneak into that seventh playoff spot? Sure, I guess there's hope, but the Vikings are looking very, very terrible after three weeks, despite, again, Dalvin Cook. Beast mode. Balled out. 181 yards. And then you add the, I think he had almost 20 receiving. Guy had like 200 all-purpose yards. Your ass lost. It's a tough break. And, you know, from Tennessee's perspective, that's the Brable mentality. That's the, you know, win those close games, eke out those wins. It doesn't matter if they're pretty. You get the win. See, what had happened was... All right. Now, for the Jets versus the Colts, everybody knew what it was going to be. But I'm just going to try to take this in a different direction. Let's, let's talk about some positive things. The Colts' defense... Man, they had the number one pass defense and the number five rushing defense going into this game, and they did not let up. They had two pick sixes. Um, The Colts looked really, really good. And I know what you're going to say, oh, it's the Jets, it's the Jets. But you know what? doesn't matter. Again, you play who's put in front of you, 
And then now you're going into week four with one of the best rated defenses in the NFL. You have to tip your hat to the Indianapolis Colts. They're doing what it takes to get the job done. Rivers pitched a clean game, didn't really make any mistakes. Uh, Mo Ali Cox is making his case for why Jack Doyle shouldn't be just relegating Mo Ali Cox to the bench as soon as he's healthy and at 100%. Um, I think it's going to go back to mostly the Jack Doyle show. I always want to call him Dwayne Allen, and it took me seven takes to record this because even after I looked at his name seven times, I still called him Dwayne Allen twice. Um, and that's actually what happened to Dwayne Allen is he got Jack Doyled. So it seems like Jack Doyle is now getting Jack Doyled by Mo Alley Cox. Um, we'll see how that plays out with both of them on the field. If you have Mo Alley Cox, now would be the time to move him. I'm telling you, sell high, not because I don't believe in the kid, that I don't believe in his talent, but I think that they're going to use Dwayne Allen. So if you can get some massive haul, for Mo Ali Cox, now is the time to make a move. Um, Jonathan Taylor had an okay game, nothing super crazy. T.Y. Hilton, we're still waiting for him to show up. I'm one of those people who has T.Y. stashed in my bench, and he just has not showed up this year, but it's T.Y. It's T.Y. We've gone through three weeks of the season. I don't want to be that guy who gives away talent. So he's sitting on my bench for now. I'm trying to be patient with him. But I'm really, really hoping that the Colts are going to start utilizing him. I mean, especially Phillip Rivers has to be chomping at the bit. I mean, this is a guy who's used to having Keenan Allen and uh, Williams and Antonio Gates and all kinds of weapons for him to stretch the field. And he has to be looking at T.Y. saying, how do we work this guy into the game flow? How do we make this happen? Because T.Y. is just an explosive, deadly asset to have if he's utilized. Um, and I'm sure some of that's on T.Y. as well. You know, he's getting back into the swing of things too. But hopefully the Colts can figure out a way to utilize him better. On the Jets side of the ball, what do you want me to say, man? I, I'm not going to just bludgeon the Jets. They're going to get theirs from every media outlet, and I'm sure you can find it somewhere where people are just dumping on the Jets all day. But the Jets are going to get theirs. They have their own problems to worry about. So we're just going to move on to the next game. Uh, what had happened was... Panthers-Chargers, man. Teddy Bridgewater and the boys pulled this one out. Teddy was 22-28, uh, 235 and a touchdown. Mike Davis was filling in admirably. He's obviously no CMC. But he kept the ball churning there. Um, they also got a couple other guys involved. And then, you know, from a receiving standpoint, Teddy was spreading the ball over the place. I think they had four wide receivers with more than 40 yards receiving each. Uh, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Mike Davis, who obviously got involved in the passing game as well, and Curtis Samuel. Uh, DJ Moore is, is somebody that I like as well. If you can get a hold of him, the, the rate that he is being targeted by Teddy Bridgewater is very, very high among NFL receivers. Um, I know that it's not exactly the Packers or the Seahawks offense, but with a target rate that high, I would definitely key on DJ Moore if you're looking to make a move, maybe not for a wide receiver one, but just somebody to add and one of your flex positions or at a roster, I would try to get a hold of DJ Moore if possible. 
On the Chargers' side of the ball, young Mr. Herbert is still looking for his first win, but he did throw for 330 yards, a touchdown, a pick, 35 of 49. Um, had a decent game. Again, like we talked about, you see those flashes of what he's capable of. Um, we were kind of curious to how the Austin Eckler and Josh Kelly thing was going to play out because the week before, Kelly actually outpaced Austin Eckler. This week, they didn't really stick to the run that much. Uh, there was only 23 carries total um, in the run game, and that was 12 to Austin Eckler and 8 to Josh Kelly. So Eckler kind of eked him out a little bit, but nobody came close to 100 yards. Uh, their efficiency was okay, but it just wasn't that type of game. Uh, this was the game where Keenan Allen actually had his breakout game, like we talked about on the last podcast. So 13 catches, 132 yards, 10.2 average, and a touchdown. If you're a Keenan Allen fantasy owner, you love to see it. Um, definitely a great game out of him. Eckler did have 84 yards receiving to add to his rushing total. So that was the one kind of savior for those who did start Kelly over Eckler. Um you know, and obviously depending on whether you're PPR league or not. But the Chargers played well. Unfortunately, not well enough to beat the Panthers. And a lot of it has to do with conversion and, you know, getting points on, on the drives that you really need to. To have 330 yards passing and to have as much offense as they did at times where they looked sharp and they were picking up chunks here and there and to only get 16 points out of it. If you score 16 points in the NFL, that's not going to That's not going to do it. There's going to be very rare instances where that's going to be enough to carry your team to a victory. So Chargers and Panthers are both one and two, but at least the Panthers got off the schneid. Uh, they'll look towards next week and try to build on that and break themselves up to 500. And the Chargers, obviously, still looking for uh, Herbert's first win. We are still monitoring, obviously, the Kevorkian stabbing incident that happened with Tyrod Taylor. Excuse me. Um, to see how that plays out, because the longer that this goes, the much smaller percent chance, I think, that Tyrod gets that job back. What had happened was... I'll tell you who had a bad day on Sunday was the Denver Broncos offensive line. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were sending anybody and everybody after any quarterback that the Broncos wanted to stick back there. It didn't matter. It was going to be a rough day. The Buccaneers' defense is no joke, man. Fourth highest rated defense, and they are flying around out there. The blitzes that they're dialing up, the shifts, the movements, I love it. And you know what I loved even more was to see Rob Gronkowski with six catches on Sunday. Big day for Rob. Let's give a hand to Rob. I love the Gronk getting him involved. I think that we talked about that on the last podcast is as Gronk goes, so goes the team. Man, he's just, he's got the sauce. He's got the sauce. And if you can get him involved early and make that part of your game plan, then I think that that just, again, that opens up a lot of other things. Uh, Brady had a decent day. I think he threw for just shy of 300 yards, um, 297. He was 25 of 38, three touchdowns, no picks, clean game. The run game wasn't as good as it was in the week prior. They still did have, uh, I think, 70 yards rushing or something like that. But 
Uh, Rojo did okay. He actually led the way with 13 carries. Fournette only had seven carries. I'd love to see Fournette keep inching and eventually just take over that job. Um, but he's got to do the most with obviously the opportunities that he gets. With the seven carries he had, he only had 15 yards, so that's not going to get it done. I believe that Leonard Fournette is a better answer than Ronald Jones the second. However, again, Leonard Fournette needs to clear any doubt that anybody has. I think that Rojo has a smaller gap between he's got a little bit higher floor maybe than Leonard Fournette, whereas Leonard Fournette is boom or bust. He's either going to have 15 or 16 yards or he's going to have 113 because he's like Barry Sanders. He's that home run hitter. He's going to try to make it on every single play. A lot of people may not actually realize, but Barry Sanders actually holds the record for the most carries that resulted in zero or negative yards. However, that never seemed to matter because the reason that Barry was so dangerous is because he was trying to take it to the house on every single play. He wasn't going to fall forward for an easy two. He wasn't going to squirm for three. He was going to try to out-juke you, out-move you, because he knew that at least half the time he was going to make you miss, he was going to make you look stupid, and he was going to take it home. So kind of similar style with Leonard Fournette. I think the upside of Fournette is much higher than what you have with uh, Rojo. So I'd like to see that kind of sort itself out. I'm sure a lot of fantasy owners would as well. From the Broncos' perspective, uh, they announced that Rippon would be the starting quarterback going into next week. Uh, Driscoll didn't have a great game, obviously. Rippon got put in. Rippon went 8 for 9, 53 yards and a pick. So there wasn't a lot that we got to see out of him. Obviously, we know that Blake Bortles is waiting in the wings, and I'm sure they're trying to get him up to speed as soon as fucking possible. Um, But the Broncos' offense, I just don't trust right now. If you have any players in the Broncos' offense, man, I don't know whether to tell you to bench them and try to see if you get some efficiency out of an incoming quarterback or to try to move them, but I don't know what you're going to get right now. Melvin Gordon had 26 yards on eight carries. Um, We know that Philip Lindsay is going to be coming back soon, but I don't think he wants to. I I don't know what he's going to be walking into. Jerry Judy, who's as talented as they come, five catches for 55 yards, not a horrible stat line, but for what you think that he's capable of and with Sutton being out for the year and him with the opportunity to step into that number one role, uh, Noah Fant's another one. He got 46 yards, which really is not a bad stat line for a tight end. But knowing what he's capable of, I think if you put another quarterback in there or you put him on another team, I think he is a solid wide receiver one, uh, borderline wide receiver two. It's it's going to be tough sledding for the Broncos. And obviously Thursday night, they're taking on what should be a layup for them. Uh, but we'll come back to that as we get to the end of these picks here. Um yeah, not not much to be positive from from the Broncos' perspective. They got some things they really need to sort out. See, what had happened was... What had happened was the upset of the week, Kyler Murray just fell apart against the Detroit Lions. They went from winless to knocking off an undefeated team in the Arizona Cardinals. 
and I'd put that entire game on Kyler Murray. Heading into last week's game, Detroit Lions were allowing 6.5 yards per attempt rushing the ball. All you had to do was take care of the ball and pound the rock. Instead, Kyler throws three interceptions, trying to do too much, trying to get too fancy, and they end up losing the game. So hopefully it's a learning lesson for the still young quarterback um, who's looked great through the first two weeks of the season, but not a great performance out of him in week three. For the Lions, hey, Stafford had a clean game. You guys get your first victory. Um, It's great as a fan, but from a fantasy perspective, it's such a mess back there. I mean, the backfield alone, you don't know if it's carry-on. The second that you think that all of a sudden it's swift, it's not. And AP seems to be the only consistent in that backfield. But obviously, he's not having any home run hitting amazing games. Um, it's just it's just a carry-based thing. So it's I'm not against rostering AP, but obviously, he shouldn't be anybody that you're starting right now. Um, From the wide receiver's perspective, again, it's a mixed bag of treats. Nobody's really outshining anybody else. If you wanted to know if Danny Amendola is alive and well and still playing football, he did have one catch for 18 yards in the game against Arizona. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm not touching anybody from a fantasy perspective on the Lions roster right now. Now, on the Cardinals side, man, they need to just give Kenyon Drake the rock. Like, let Booby spin. Kenyon Drake is an immense talent. If he's used improperly, then it's not going to end well. We saw how Gase used him in Miami and just completely wasted one of the greatest talents. And then as soon as he showed up in Arizona last year, we saw he just broke onto the scene and all of a sudden was this amazing back. He's still that amazing back. Um, but you've got to design ways to get him in space where he can make people miss. He's not a Derrick Henry type of back. That's not who he is. He's not a between-the-tackles type of guy. Um, you have to figure out ways to get the ball in his hands in space and let him go to work for you. Especially, again, last week when you're playing the worst rushing defense in the National Football League, why did he only get 18 carries? Like... I know that doesn't sound so small, but in that context, it really was. And what's even more concerning than that was he only caught one ball out of the backfield. He should have had just as many targets as as a receiver coming out of the backfield as he did running the ball. But if that's how you want to use Kenyon Drake out of the Adam Gase playbook, then Godspeed and enjoy your losses. Um, Other than that, DeAndre Hopkins did what DeAndre Hopkins does. You know, he 10 catches, 137 yards, 13.7 yards per reception. Even going into this game, Hopkins was averaging 11 catches per game, which is first in the NFL, and he didn't disappoint again. So if you've got Hopkins on your fantasy league, then Godspeed, you're doing something right. Um, Larry Fitzgerald, one catch, zero yards. I'd love to see him get more involved, man. We we know that he's not hanging out as like a favor to anybody. Um, I get that he's not 27-year-old Larry Fitzgerald, but shit, you have him rostered for a reason. So why is Andy Isabella getting four catches and Daryl Daniels getting two catches and Kashawn Johnson two catches? 
I, I don't understand. Dan Arnold has a catch, but Larry Fitzgerald only has one catch for zero yards. You got to do better than that. So they need to scheme up their offense better, but they're only two and one. They're obviously in a tough division, and um, you know they'll, they'll look to try to get Kyler back on track next week and get him reined in. Again, these young guys have to learn not to try to do too much and take what's there. And I think that's the hardest lesson for young quarterbacks to learn. Uh, what had happened was... Now let's talk about a couple exciting games. How about Green Bay versus New Orleans? Man, Aaron Rodgers, what have we been saying? Hashtag Revenge Tour 2020, bitches. Aaron Rodgers is going on his King Petty Tour, and it is going to be fabulous. He looked so amazing against the New Orleans Saints from the hard counts to the wrist flicks 40 yards downfield. I mean, he was precision accurate, and it just looked amazing. New Orleans had no answer for Aaron Rodgers, and Drew Brees, on the other hand, was throwing the ball three yards down the field, and it just, I get it. Listen, Alvin Kamara is the most talented person on your offensive roster right now with Michael Thomas being out. However, you know who else knows that? Every defense who's playing you. You have to figure out ways to take shots. You have to figure out ways to get these other guys involved, man. You can't just sit around waiting for Michael Thomas to come back and put all of that on Alvin Kamara's shoulders. Not to mention the fact that, again, we talked about the Saints being the most penalized team in the league, um, things that they need to work on. And we saw evidence of it with them jumping off sides multiple times, giving Rodgers free plays. Like, you, you can't do that, especially Aaron Rodgers. He's going to eat that up, and he will destroy you. Um, so Packers fans, obviously, were very excited um, you look at people who are making an impact with Devontae Adams being gone, uh, Valdez Scanling, and then Lazard. Lazard looked fantastic. He was a waiver wire target for sure this week. If for some reason nobody picked him up in your league, you better add him uh, to your roster because he has definitely supplanted Valdez as the number two wide receiver in Green Bay. Um, he's not going anywhere. There was a great interview with uh, Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show this week. And if you don't listen to the Pat McAfee podcast, man, you are missing out. Tell them that we sent you. Uh, they have a great show, but they had Aaron Rodgers on the show, uh, I think it was Tuesday. And he was just talking about how him and LaFleur, the things they were coming up with in the playbook and how they were figuring out the tendencies of, of these different teams and what plays they liked and how to change certain things at the line and different things like that. And the mastery that that man has of an offense and the recall that he has to be able to tell you, oh yeah, back in 2008 or 2014 when we played the Bears, yeah, it was a second and three and then they sent three guys over here and then so I saw the free safety blitzing, et cetera, et cetera. His mind is a beautiful thing, and you add that to the raw talent that Aaron Rodgers has as one of the most beautiful, pure passers that I've ever seen in my life. Green Bay is just going to be a force to be reckoned with. If they can fix that defense, man, you know, much like Seattle, they, they need to work on that defense because if we know Rodgers can score 40 points every single game, 
and the defense could just hold somebody to 30, then they're going to win a lot of football games. Now, on New Orleans side, I still think that they're going to have a good season. I'm not writing the Saints off because they're 1-2, and two, but Sean Payton has to go into Sean Payton mode, and he needs to figure out how to outsmart people. He needs to figure out how to utilize what he has to the best of his abilities to create scenarios that are advantageous to his team. What had happened was... Now, apparently, what had happened was everybody has given up on last year's unanimous MVP in the National Football League, and that is Lamar Jackson. Everybody watched one game on Monday night, and apparently we watched different games because Kansas City came out and played an amazing game. And the offense, especially through the first three quarters, were just lights out. And I mean, Patrick Mahomes, hats off to him. We all know what he's capable of and and when he scrambles and the things he makes happen back in the pocket. They're great. You know who else is really good at that? The MVP from last year, Lamar fucking Jackson. However, Lamar didn't have a great night. What happened was the Ravens got behind. They had to pass the ball, or they at least should have been passing the ball, more than they were running the ball, playing from behind against a Patrick Mahomes-led team. However, they actually did stick to the run uh, fairly well through most of it. But the problem was is that when they had those pass play actions, when they had those shots, either Lamar was off on some of them where he did lead the receiver or threw it a little bit behind the receiver, um, or there were other ones where the receiver, the tight end, just didn't make the catch. I can't tell you how many passes hit Mark Andrews' hands on Monday night. And I can tell you because I am a Mark Andrews fantasy owner, and I believe that he is one of the top tight ends in the National Football League. I think Kittle, Kelsey, and then Mark Andrews is right there, man. I'm telling you, he is. He gets open, he's a beast, and when he was getting looks, he got so many targets on Monday night, but the ball would hit him in the hands, and he couldn't bring it in. Now, I'm not trying to put it all on Mark Andrews, as again, some of these passes were leading past, or they were thrown behind, he had to turn awkwardly to get it, but if it hits you in the hands, man, you got to catch at least half of those. You have to catch half the p- passes that hit you in the fucking hands, man. So... There was a touchdown he dropped. There was another pass that would have been a huge first down when the Ravens really needed it. And he's not the only one. But, and not to, not to completely excuse Lamar, he did not have a great game. But this idea that I, I see Twitter on Tuesday morning and everybody's like, see, Lamar Jackson is trash. He can't throw it when he needs to. Do you guys remember this season last year? Unanimous MVP in a league with Patrick Mahomes, who was doing what he was doing, and T.J. Watt, and a lot of people who had great years last year, it wasn't even close because Lamar Jackson was making people look stupid. He was just toying with people out there. So yes, he had a bad game. But you know what? Again, we keep talking about this on the podcast, but nobody's, nobody's listening to what we're saying. The Browns destroyed the Ravens last year. It's like 45-20 or 40-25, something like that. They just 
wipe the floor with them. And we know how the Browns ended their season, and we know how the Ravens ended their season. The Ravens made a deep run into the playoffs, but all of a sudden we forget that when Lamar has a bad game, and I think it's really an issue with the purest. I think there are people who love their Tommy Brady, they love their old Dan Marinos and their Drew Breeses and their pocket passers, and they refuse to let go, and they refuse to see the future and what the NFL is becoming. They don't mind Pat Mahomes as much because he's mostly a, a pocket passer. He gets back there, but then he makes moves with his feet, and then he still looks downfield. Yes, he will break off a third and 20 run uh, to get the first down, but it's not really a huge part of his repertoire the way that it is with Deshaun, the way that it is with Lamar. They don't see them in the same light. And I think that's the problem is they just don't want to let go of the game. Lamar Jackson is a premier quarterback in this league. You put some respect on his name when you're fucking talking about this guy. So please spare me that the Ravens are hot trash and that Lamar Jackson just got exposed, okay? Because he lost a game to the reigning Super Bowl champions. And they had they had the Ravens schemed up very well. The Chiefs played them very well. And again, there was things in all phases. The defense didn't help out for being one of the best defenses in the NFL. The Ravens' defense wasn't able to contain Mahomes the way that they hoped they would. And then on the flip side of that, Lamar didn't get the plays that he needed. He didn't execute the way he should, like an MVP. And then there were players around him who just didn't help him out. So it was a great game. It was really exciting. Hats off to the Chiefs. They obviously look like they're primed for another run, but... Please just spare me a little bit on the Lamar's hot trash talk. One thing that is concerning for Ravens fantasy owners is Lamar Jackson had the most carries during that game. He had nine carries. He did get 83 yards, but you don't really want to see him having the most carries on the team. Gus Edwards had four carries. Ingram had seven carries. Dobbins had one carry. They still don't seem like they know what their backfield is. It felt like last year with Mark Ingram back there, you knew who your bell cow was. Now with J.K. Dobbins, it looked like week one, oh, it's going to be a split carry thing. And then by week two, Gus Edwards started getting involved. And I think, again, they need to simplify things. They need to get back to basics, um, not just for the fantasy fans, but they need to figure out some consistencies on offense and not have Lamar Jackson being their leading ball carrier for nine carries. Now, from a receiving perspective, nobody was lighting it up, obviously, in in this past game. I think their leading receiver was J.K. Dobbins with 38 yards, so that's that's never good. Now, on the Chiefs' side, man, if you had Patrick Mahomes, 385 yards, four touchdowns, no picks— That's a pretty good day for you. Clyde Edwards-Alaire did okay, but it was nice to see McCole Hardman show up. Uh, Hardman had a touchdown and 81 yards. Tyreek Hill, 77 yards and a touchdown. And who doesn't like to see a big man touchdown? Eric Fisher getting involved with a touchdown reception. Anthony Sherman as well, which everybody loves to see, except for, of course, anybody who owned 
any wide receiver, tight end, or running back for the Kansas City Chiefs in fantasy. But other than that, everybody enjoyed it. So a little trickeration, some nice drawn-up plays there for the Kansas City Chiefs. They move on undefeated. The Ravens will try to regroup as they head into Week 4. Now this next part I really don't want to do. It's not something I've been looking forward to, but unfortunately it's part of the job and it's something that uh, I have to I, I have to do and it's 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 gonna be tough, but I'm gonna try to get through this. So I definitely appreciate the support to all you out there who are listening and uh, being part of our show. So here it is. Thursday night football. The New York Jets versus the Denver Broncos. Man, I don't want to pick this game. I don't want to talk about this game. I, I don't know what to expect, right? I mean, what you should expect is a blowout by the Denver Broncos because no matter how bad they are, they can't be as bad as the Jets are. Right, So conventional wisdom tells me that pick the Broncos, this is going to be butt fumble game 2.0, and the Jets are just going to be exposed for all the world to see the hot trash that they are. Right, That's conventional wisdom. And then there's the other part of me that's seen a thing or two, kind of like farmers. Bum, ba-dum, bum, 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 bum. Not a paid sponsorship, but hey. Call us. Let's do business. Um, I have seen a thing or two. And one of the things that I've seen is every time that Adam Gase is on the hot seat and every time he just looks like it's doomed and there's no way that he can turn it around, he goes and does just enough to make people go, oh, okay, well, mate, okay, all right, I see it. I can see it. And when I say people, I mean people within his building. Because that's really the only people that he needs to be concerned with. He needs to be concerned with ownership. He needs to be concerned with the executives at the New York Jets organization who are going to determine whether he keeps his job or not. And I feel like between the combination of the bad luck that the Jets have And the combination of Gase always seeming to pull those games out of his ass, I think the Jets are going to win this football game. Slap me silly and call me Susan, but the New York fucking Jets are going to win this football game. The Denver Broncos are saying that Rippon's going to be the starter, which I I actually think he might be an improvement even as the third string. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets benched at some point and they put somebody else in. I don't know if Bortles is going to be ready anytime soon. But I think that Broncos are going into this game thinking, all right, we're 0-3. Things aren't looking great for us, but we're definitely not the Jets. It could always be worse. We could always be the Jets, and we're not the Jets. And our quarterback is hurt right now, but he'll be coming back. And, you know, we're going to make a run and and try to win some games. They have to be feeling more positive than themselves, right? I think the Jets are desperate. I think as much as half of that team has probably given up on Adam Gase, 
that doesn't mean that they've given up on themselves and that doesn't mean that they're not going to try with everything they have to do something and and to prove that they have talent because guess what they still have careers and they still need to play on this team next year under a new head coach or on other teams and I think this could be a trap game for the Broncos now neither team has won a football game this season so it's not like I'm predicting a huge upset but if you've watched the games and you see how abysmal the Jets are you can't imagine them winning a game it seems like they're going to be in that race for the number one pick overall this year which I, I believe they're in that race strongly but I think if on prime time Thursday night football Adam Gase, who is already the center of controversy over whether he should be allowed to ever coach a football team again in the National Football League, I think if he shits the bed on Thursday night football against an 0-3 team with a third-string quarterback, he doesn't make it to halftime. I think they'll give him his walking papers, get an Adam Gase look-alike to dress up for the second fucking half, And I think he's out of there. I think he knows that. And I think he is going to throw anything and everything, including the kitchen sink at this team, if he has anything in his back pocket that he thinks is crazy play or crazy schemes, offensive, defense, he is going to go all out. And he is going to try to save his job, his career, and the New York Jets 2020 season. Will it be successful? I don't know. But this is such a crazy year, and this is such an insane situation that I'm going to go with the Jets, man. I just, I, I feel like it's so easy to pick the Broncos that it feels wrong. But we'll see what happens. So my prediction is New York Jets over the Broncos. Come back Friday morning, and we can all laugh about it with each other. See Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. We really appreciate you listening. Remember to find us on Twitter at RegulatorsPod. We really love all of the engagement and everything else like that. If you don't have a Twitter, get a Twitter. Then follow at RegulatorsPod on Twitter. Appreciate all the subs. Appreciate all the comments and the five-star reviews. I love doing this with you guys every week. I love talking shit. And uh, we got some great things lined up. J-Man is going to be back again on Sunday to do our pregame show for week four and we'll do all our predictions. We'll go over all your Vegas point spreads and everything you need to get ready for game day. So hit us up on the Twitter streets and you know how we end the show. Let's get it. <laughs>